Friends, welcome to another episode of Making Disciples. And today's episode is another interview with a friend of mine called Kathy Madhavan. She's just this week having a book out called Irrepressible. And the subtitle of it is 12 Principles for a Courageous, Resilient and Fulfilling Life. And the moment I saw that she got this book out, I wanted to grab some time with her. This whole thing about being resilient uh, in in what is a, a busy, stressful world, how do you keep on going uh, when it is hard work? It's a really good question that I always kind of ask myself. January and February for me are really difficult months. It's dark, uh, it's horrid outside, and I often find it really hard to just keep on going, keep on going. So I wanted to catch... Kathy, as this book comes out and then uh, kind of have a conversation with her around how do you keep going how do you keep courageous and resilient um, when life is tough so friends i hope you find this episode uh, helpful and interesting certainly enjoy uh, listening to kathy madavan who's incredibly gifted incredibly wise uh, so friends uh, enjoy this episode of making disciples And welcome to Making Disciples. Really excited to have you with me. I'm even more excited to be here. Um, you are often, your little bio on things often says, Kathy Madhavan is a writer and speaker. <laughs> and uh, this book that you've got out uh, that comes out this week, I would definitely want to add in the life coach. Because oh, that's good. One of the things that uh, I feel, you're a friend of mine, and I, I think we're good friends. But one of the things that you bring to our friendship is you are a, an incredible life coach. You are so good at just helping people process through and walk through stuff well. And you've got this book out this week, Irrepressible, uh, which I really want to just spend most of our time talking about. But this book for me feels like the best of you. Does that make sense? That's, I mean, that's so kind. Actually, one of the people who wrote an endorsement, uh, Paul Carenza, called it like a... Um, he said it was like a super mentor in book form, which I thought was the kindest compliment I I could have got. And he said it's kind of like I'd gone through life's challenges and made notes along the way to pass on. And I guess that is my heart, really, to help people do life well, even the the challenging bits, the opportunities and creating habits and mindsets that will help people to make the most really so yeah thank you I feel like you've totally nailed it there I'm really grateful that's definitely what it feels like and one of the there's a number of themes in the book I don't know how many we'll get to touch but um I'd love to talk to you about resilience because one of the things you talk about in the book is about resilience and for me life often feels like a battle and it feels like uh, somebody said to me the other day how are you doing Chris and I said I feel like uh, you know Dory finding Nemo just keep swimming just keep swimming just keep swimming and, and there's times in life where you feel like I just can't keep swimming uh, one of the things you talk about in the book is resilience training and yeah what is resilience training and and you know help me now I'm struggling I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> swimming I'm swimming I'm swimming how do we build resilience in life resilience is quite a trendy word at the moment isn't it um, well, how, yeah, well, how do we do that well, Dory's my hero as well, so I completely get that. But yeah, I think actually at the heart of irrepressible is this sense of building a life that is irrepressible in the sense that you can 
bounce back and you are not beaten down. You like you wobble, but you don't fall down, you know, as the weebles, you know, used to say. And it is that sense of being able to keep swimming, but not just because we grit our teeth and try harder, but because we can create like good habits, good relationships, internal support structures, but also external support structures. And both are absolutely critical. And all the research about resilience says that, you know, actually self-help books and self-development and spiritual development are all really important. But without external structures around us, we be that family, friends, it could be training, it could be sick pay, it could be mentoring, counselling, all the things that we need in society and community and friendships to flourish and thrive. We need both a good combination of internal supports and external supports to be able to cope with some of the stuff that life throws at us and I think most of us and I know you and I would definitely say this is most of us fall into this trap of thinking that life throws events at us consecutively we'll have a a good thing followed by a bad thing but then after that bad thing it would only be fair to have another good thing but the reality is it's far more like train tracks that happen simultaneously the challenging stuff and the good stuff. So the struggles, you know, and the kind of strengths both happen simultaneously. And so it's about learning to live in that tension, realizing that actually there's always going to be blessings and there's always going to be burdens. They both come at the same time. It's learning how really to not get derailed by one or the other. That's how we grow in resilience. And as we fight little battles, actually our muscles get stronger and we learn the habits and if we're taught to to um fight those battles well when we're able to stretch but not snap in that kind of stretch zone if we're given good support to stretch and to take risks well we actually grow stronger muscles so that we can you know fight a bigger battle in the future if we need to mm. my last church um people used to say to me how's it going and I would say it's 10 steps forward 10 steps back all at the same time yeah and it, it, it often life feels like there's things that there's breakthrough but you've also got things that are, are just going so badly and it, it's the juggling of the two isn't it but those 10 steps back in one area don't actually negate the 10 steps forward in another area I mean if I look you know, if you're a parent, you'll know that often you'll have one of your ch- children that's thriving. And then at that moment, another one of your children is going through a struggle. Well, that doesn't mean to say that the first child isn't thriving. Um, it's just that often one area of our life, you know, is more needs more time and attention and is, is more stressful. But actually, we've, we've still got to stop and celebrate the area where things are are going well and learn from both. Actually, we, we, we learn to grow and our character grows and our relationships grow and our skills grow through both of those circumstances if we're you know if we can approach them wisely Mm. what what would you say to me if I said actually Kathy at the moment I feel like there's more going back than going forward and I feel like there's been one thing after another after another after another it's just knocking me and knocking me and knocking me Uh, how do you build resilience when you don't feel like there's much to celebrate. Well, um, that's, I mean, f- I mean, first of all, obviously, as Christians, I, with this, as you, as I think you know, this book doesn't have loads of obvious Christianity in it. So, but those of us who are Christians reading it will see the kind of wisdom that we know and we believe threaded all the way through it. But um, 
there are principles in here and each chapter is like a little principle that kind of helps people to take hold of whatever stuff they're facing at the moment and um there is there's one chapter in there actually called navigate waypoint moments and that is really about those moments where you're at a junction and you just don't know how to move forwards and you're just not sure how to kind of to go for it. And I love the little quote at the beginning of that chapter that's by T.S. Eliot that says, if you aren't in over your head, how do you know how tall you are? (laughs) I'm like, that is so good because I so often feel like totally in over my head in so many places in my life. And I talk in this chapter about waypoint moments, about moments where we've got junctions and we have decisions to make about which direction and I actually use the word waypoint as a sort of acronym to, you know, to look at things like, you know, W stands for wait. Just don't rush into a quick decision. And A, acceptance, like work out why you are, you know, the reality of where you are and why you are there. And then why is you look after yourself, et cetera, et cetera. And I think there are things we can do when we feel overwhelmed and there's actually another little chapter in there called fill your tank so when your tank is totally drained dry and your resilience is completely worn out we've got a responsibility for our own tank working out how we can actually you know compensate and put back in where our resources have got so depleted what brings us joy what gives us energy who can we talk to for advice because we're not robots are we none of us have got none of us have got resources that are none of us can just grit our teeth and push through and persevere forever we've all got to find ways of making sure that the tank is full enough that we've got stuff to give out definitely you can't live in the red for too long because it just burns you out and burnout's a very real thing and that's why resilience and getting sort of habits in place actually where we 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 are creating capacity and resilience in ourselves rather than just reacting in in the snap zone um that's why it's so important to be honest yeah can we just go back to waypoint for a moment yeah sure because actually that bit of the book i particularly um appreciated so the waypoint you had w was weight a was acceptance y was you be nice to yourself you found p was people I'll just go yeah. through them. I want to come back to the people one, but P was people. Uh, o is orientation. You're about choosing your direction. I is uh, imagine uh, the best outcome. N is next steps, plotting your course and direction. And T is trusting the process. Um, people, sometimes when you are in that dark moment where you feel like there's more going wrong than going right, sometimes the issue is we can hide because we just don't want to see another individual. <laughs> uh, and sometimes that's just because you're an introvert, and that's you know, one of the ways that you, you deal with stuff. But we, you, know, we, you talk about not hiding for too long and don't travel alone and making sure that you've got people around you that are going to build uh, and give you strength. Um, why do you think people are so... What, what is it about community and other individuals around you that's so important for resilience? Well, I think you hit something very important there, which is, you know, there are different temperaments. And, you know, my husband's an introvert and, you know, likes to process a lot alone, whereas I'm more of an extrovert. And so I like to process externally. So there is a difference there. But actually, none of us were designed and created to do life alone. God's a God of relationship. We're a people made to be in relationship. I think wisdom is knowing in the crunch times when we're facing 
you know, either really big opportunities, actually, it can be success as well as difficulties. We need to know people who are able to both celebrate and commiserate with us wholeheartedly, who really have our, you know, our best interests at heart, who we can be really honest, tell the real stuff to um, and kind of like let them hold our hands. And also just long term, I think, in the tough areas of our life. And again, this comes back to the external structures thing. So I think some people who know me, who might have heard me speak before, perhaps, will know that my husband is is registered blind. Well, part of the reason Mark copes is because of his inner resilience and how his inner determination and his faith are so important to him. But actually, a large amount of how he's able to cope is because there are a few friends who he can really be honest to about the struggles. And then a little army of people who do things like pick him up for work every day, drop him home every day, um, who helped do DIY around our house because he can't do it. And I'm, I can do a certain amount, but I can't do it all. And there is a sense in which, you know, we have to kind of accept those difficulties and deficiencies. And rather than just get bitter um, about what we don't have, we have to look at the resources that we do have in, in people who actually are blessed to bits to be part of the journey. And rather than depriving them of the opportunity of getting to know you and your vulnerabilities and the reality of your life, but by trying to kind of keep a stiff, stiff upper lip and do it all on your own, actually there is something about allowing people into the challenges that you face and the things where you know, you feel like I don't have any strength here. Well, they go, well, look at me. I've got a strength here. I can give you a lift. I can work a drill. I can bring a lift, a, a meal around for you when Kathy's away. Um, and suddenly you've created community because you're, you're leaning into each other and you're opening up. I think it was Rob Parsons who once said, you impress people with your strength, but you connect with your vulnerability. Mm. And I do think that there is a sense in which you know, at particular waypoint times are those those decision times. It's where we let people into the fears and the doubts and the vulnerabilities. That's where real relationships kind of are forged, to be honest, right far beyond just impressing one another. Mm. There's a danger sometimes in that we end up feeling like we. Uh, I'm just moaning at you all the time. I'm just moaning at you and you end up feeling like I can't tell them anything else because they're just going to get fed up with me. <laughs> Sometimes there's, I, if I carry on being so honest with them, they're going to walk away from me. Um, but actually deep, real friendship only mer- emerges when we're able to be honest and real with how we're doing over the long haul. It's not just the short burst, isn't it? It's the, it's the ongoing relationship that's important for our resilience. Well, uh, there's um, one of the chapters in here which I'm really passionate about, actually, is called Build Your Tribe. And I talk about the fact that I was longing for those kind of deep friendships you just described, but I didn't have really enough of them in my life. And I was going around the country doing ministry on my own a lot of the time and actually feeling quite lonely, even though I know so many people and, you know, I love the relationships I have. Um, but actually, because I was on my own quite a lot, feeling quite lonely that I wasn't getting to know people at that that deep level that I was really longing for. I just felt God said to me, Kathy, build your tribe. Mm. And you you have to sometimes, my friend Becca Leg describes it like this, you drop seeds of intimacy and you see what grows because not every friendship, when you drop that seed of intimacy, will it grow into something you know beautiful and fruitful. But actually, if you trust someone with a little seed and see how 
they react to that and how safe they are with that, then actually sometimes and you water that friendship, you know, it grows and it's never one way. I think you both you both benefit and you mm. both share, don't you? It's never a one way traffic in that kind of relationship. And and I now have like this little tribe through sort of a video app um, that we use to share video messages and keeping in touch that mean that I know that wherever I am in this country or abroad, that there are people who are praying for me and who are, you know, caring for me, who I can be totally honest. I can leave a rant one day going, oh my gosh, this person's driving me crazy or where is God? I just can't see God's hand in this today or or like, please celebrate with me. I've got this breakthrough. This book's coming out. I just need someone to be excited for me. I know that there are some people mm. out there now, but it's taken quite a an investment. And I've and it was because I didn't have it. And I felt God said, it's not going to happen by accident. You yeah. actually have to invest if you want to get that kind of reward. Yeah. Friendships are not accidental. No. And I, it amazes me how many people think it's just going to happen for them. They're going to have friends. And um, one of the uh, podcasts a couple of weeks ago was with my friend Frederick from uh, Denmark. And we had a whole conversation about friendship and loneliness. And one of the things for him is friendships are intentional because we have to say, I am going to choose to open my life up to this individual and be present for them. Uh, and, and the reality is so often we want friendship without the hard work. Absolutely. Or we think that one friend or two friends are going to fulfill every criteria when actually you know there will be some friends that are huge fun but you wouldn't tell you're in a d deepest darkest secrets to mm -hmm. and then there are other people who are your super mentors but um actually aren't a load of fun and and that's okay like they're all precious and they're all really critical actually for and when they, you find those people who you feel you've got a connection with in one way or another because we're very multifaceted aren't we we've got different aspects to ourselves there doesn't have to be one person, just like if you're married, your one spouse is never going to fulfill every bit of your relational mm. needs in your in your life. And not every friendship is great for every season either. And that's not failure either. That's mm. that's OK to ad admit that, you know, sometimes long term friendships are the best friendships, but some friendships adapt and change as circumstances do. And yeah. that's OK as well. It's, it's OK to admit that, I think. Can I tell you a funny story? Do it. So uh, about 15 years ago, uh, we were, no, more than that, 20 years ago, Becky and I were in this church in Birmingham. I was a youth worker. Some great friends. But the friendships plummeted into this deep, deep level of friendship uh, because we were around their house for New Year's Eve party. We were playing a board game that was designed uh, off the TV show Friends. And in this show, in this game, you um, get asked questions about each other and you have to answer them to show how much you know about your friendships. But we'd actually picked out um, a, a set of cards from the game, which were the adult edition. <laughs> like, we didn't we didn't realise this is what... It, and, it, and the questions were really, um, when was the first time that you dot, 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 dot? And we found in the next 60 minutes, um, we, we got to know a lot about each other that we, <laughs> that we didn't necessarily w want to know. Um, I love it. But what it did mean was we our friendship went from being superficial, and I don't mean that in a negative way, it was just you know, a normal level of friendship, to suddenly these two couples who we knew incredibly well <laughs> afterwards. Yeah, and yeah. actually off the back of that, we've got lifelong friends. Yeah, that's and, brilliant. Uh, and it was accidental. I mean, some of the things I know about them, I won't name them, but the things that I know, I'm, I'm, I can't even look at them in the eyes sometimes. Um, 
because of what they've got up to in their past. But it was a great game because it, it suddenly allowed us to have deep relationship and vulnerability with each other. It was, it was amazing. Anyway, enough of that. I want to talk about digging deep foundations because in the book um, you talk about the the importance of of foundations and uh, you know rooting yourself well. Uh, can you just talk us through what, what do you mean by digging uh, digging foundations? Yeah, I wanted to begin um, the the first part of the book on some sort of some of this character stuff because. We're so blessed if we are Christians and we go to church that we have so much wisdom teaching and we have so much foundational stuff about character in the life and you know presence of Jesus. But actually, it's something, you know, that kind of wisdom about character is something I just believe everybody needs. And my big prayer is that this book is able to go into, you know, businesses and boardrooms and like you said, coaching situations and actually talk about stuff that really matters, values, and, you know, what values you build your life on, what character you build your life on, what does integrity look like? Because when we look around us, whether it's, um, you know, movie moguls, whether it's, you know, politicians and expenses accounts, there's a huge longing, I think, for people to have people of integrity. And in fact, I think there was, um, I shared it in the book, there was a survey that came out that for the first time, more CEOs of companies um, lost their jobs because of moral failure than because of financial mismanagement. Mm-hmm. And that there was you know, another yeah. survey where people were saying that actually being valued and appreciated in the workplace was more important to them than a pay rise. And I think there was a real sense of, you know, the things about values and integrity, um, character being more important than competence. This is stuff that is good for for everybody. It's good wisdom for everyone, whether, you know, whether we're Christians or not, really. And the premise of that chapter is really that I was walking in London and I saw between one of, you know, these skyscrapers, these massive buildings where you just think there's not another room for anything to be built in London ever. And then suddenly you're walking down the road and there was this enormous canyon. It looked like the Grand Canyon kind of had opened up by the road. And obviously a huge new landmark building was about to be built. And I, I gazed kind of like through the little, you know, the, the, the boards, the way the, the, the hiding people from the site. You could just glimpse through. There was a massive canyon there. And it just really struck me that the stronger and the higher you want to build like the deeper the substructure has to be. So you need a, if you want a strong superstructure, you need a really deep substructure. Mm. And I thought that's really critical for us when we're thinking about if we want to build strong lives, courageous lives, resilient lives, fulfilling lives um, with you know, strong relationships. It's all about the substructure, isn't it? It's mm. all about the values that we make and the values that we and the value decisions that we make behind closed doors that will then impact the decisions that we make. So the values like reveal themselves when temptation comes. They reveal themselves when crisis comes. They're not formed at that moment, but they reveal themselves mm-hmm. at that moment. So it's really important that we do the, the hard work of discerning, you know, what are the values that are in important to us what are the character traits that we value and what are our strengths and what are you know what's our shadow side what are the things that we personally are going to wrestle with so that when we're triggered you know what's the stuff that's going to come out of us it's important that we get to grips with all of that stuff so that we can build strong lives Mm. in that whole section about shadow side you actually quote and talk about peter scazzaro 
Yeah, great and guy. It's a great book he wrote on the emotionally healthy leadership. And I found that his book, Emotionally Healthy Leadership, was just incredible because he, he talks about all of the hidden things in our lives that actually have the power to derail um, our leadership and the, the lives that we live in because there's all this stuff that's underneath the surface that, that there's a danger that we don't um, you don't see it I don't necessarily see it but we end up clashing and colliding because of this stuff um, so I just I thought it was interesting that you were actually quoting from have you read that book emotionally yeah healthy yeah leadership? he's he's in a whole kind of suite of books actually there's a there's emotionally healthy leadership and parenting I think as well um and it's it's really good stuff. And one of the things I love that he says is the fact that everyone else already knows what your shadow side is. Like if you have a temper, if you're always late, if um, you are passive aggressive, if, um, you know, you've got a, um, a way of dealing with the opposite sex that's not healthy, whatever it is, like everyone else has already spotted those things in you. So, you know, good leadership or, you know, just good self-development is is that self-awareness that goes, I, I know what's going on beneath the surface. And actually, I tell a quite a funny story in there about um, I was invited to uh, a really quite amazing speaking engagement overseas in quite a lovely location. And it was very exciting because I never get invited to stuff like that. It was like, oh, yay. But actually, the more I looked at this organization and what they were representing, the, the more concerned I got about mm. it. And I was like, oh, I'm oh, I'm not sure, but it would be going overseas to this amazing location and just think about the Instagram <laughs> post. It would be awesome. And I actually spoke to, um, it was Rob Parsons, actually. I don't say who it is in the book, but I'll tell you and said to him, you know, Rob, what would you do? What would you do if you were in that situation? And he said to me, Kathy, in a moment like that, I ask myself this question. Would I be so excited if the, if the same event was in Scarborough? And, and obviously, there's nothing wrong with Scarborough. And, you know, you're a Yorkshire boy and I love Yorkshire. <laughs> I was going to say, I love Scarborough. I, I, lo I actually really love Scarborough. But, uh, but I've got to yeah. be honest, Scarborough was not as nice as this place. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, And it was a kind of like an, what I call in the book X-ray moments. And X-ray moments are where suddenly it's like something that's beneath the surface is revealed. And you suddenly become aware in a conversation, either with yourself or with somebody else, you, be, you become aware of something that wasn't immediately visible. And that might be a really good something. You might suddenly see someone's generosity or benevolence or kindness in a way that you had no idea of, of that that was in them. Or it might be that suddenly a hidden motive or, um, you know, selfishness or whatever it might be comes to the surface. And, uh, you know, good substructure, good healthy foundations is being aware of your own x-rays, is being able to diagnose that thing in yourself so that you become driven by your values and your, your purpose and what's really important to you rather than external stimuli that might look really exciting, but actually might be really bad for your soul. Like really not, and not good for your purpose. They're a distraction actually to what, what God is calling you to, or what is the, the main priorities of your life. Yeah. I love the Brené Brown quote that you've got, you know, integrity is choosing courage over comfort choosing what is right over what is fun, fast or easy, and choosing to practice our values rather than simply professing them. Yeah, uh, practicing your values and not just professing them. That, 
to me, reading that, I mean, obviously, I just think Brené Brown is the queen. She is amazing. Um, and I love her writing. But I think that is so powerful to everybody because we're all longing for people who whose promises actually match their actions. That we, I know all of us have met people who overpromise and under deliver and it's easy to do because we want people please and we want people to like us and we want you know our boss to think that we're doing a great job we want our you know our spouse to think this or that or the other um but actually it's people whose promises match their their actions who are the ones who really stand out important thing integrity isn't it that your behind the scenes stuff matches your in front of scenes stuff and in the church as well actually really critical that, that that whole that match happens definitely Definitely. Kathy, just in these last few minutes, can we talk about jazz? Jazz. Do jazz. it. Love a bit of jazz. So in the book, you talk jazz. You talk I about do. improvising. Uh, sometimes we get stuck, uh, but we need to play jazz. Talk just in the last two minutes. Just talk us through jazz. Uh, what, why is jazz so important for navigating life? Well, jazz is a, is a funny thing because um, I talk about the fact I used to learn piano. And I used to learn it as a classical pianist and it meant the world to me. It was very therapeutic for lots of reasons, which I discuss in the book. But um, a mile away from my scary piano teacher who taught me classical music was my grandfather, who was a jazz musician. And every piece that I would meticulously learn to perfection with my piano teacher, I'd then go up to my grandfather's house and he'd rock it out with a sort of jazz boogie <laughs> bass swing. He'd make Moonlight Sonata sound like something that Ella Fitzgerald could sing along to. And it was absolutely amazing. He didn't get the notes right, but he made the keyboard sing. Yeah. And there's a sense in which those of us who are perfectionist in tendency, and there can be a lot of reasons why we do that. Lots of lots of reasons. But those of us who get fixed in our in our mindset or perfectionist wanting everything to be just right, there's something about jazz that teaches us that sometimes bum notes don't mean failure. They mean taking you to an unexpected chord or an unexpected melody and that great jazz musicians can play the same piece every day but discover new things in it and it can go to places that they've never gone to before and they can express themselves in ways that they didn't even know was possible, usually and often with the support of the other musicians around them. By the way, jazz is very rarely a a solo sport. You need each other to be Mm. cheering each other on as they do. If you ever watched a great jazz band, they were like, yeah, that's so great. Love what you're doing there. So they give each other the freedom to actually step out and risk and that failure is not a, you know, not the end of the world. It's just like a new step to a new, a new bit of melody. And, there's something about learning to live life a bit more like a jazz musician rather than a perfectionist classical musician that really speaks to me. Yeah, and, and I think this is one of the things that I um, just learned. You know, we met each other at Spring Harvest a number of years ago and we were doing a whole, there was a whole series on the Bible that year. And one of the things I remember coming away learning is that Jesus plays jazz. <laughs> and, and, and the way that Jesus takes all of the truth of the Old Testament but plays jazz with it, with the disciples. And he takes these old truths and rehangs them in a new way that now makes sense for a new generation. I think one of the things when it comes to my personal mental health and resilience is that sometimes my plans, you know, the best laid plans of mice and men often go aglaid. They just go wrong. Uh, But when you play jazz, you can say, right, from where I am now, what's the next thing? And you can build something, you know, as a creative and as imaginative, you can build something out of very little if you can play jazz. Because you can say, what have I got? What can I do with it? 
and what can I imagine with these these you know with sellotape and string? It's amazing what you can make. Uh, and actually having, having that desire in ourselves to say, I want to play jazz. I don't just want to stick to the notes. I want to just give it a go and see what happens. That that spirit and that uh, that, that desire inside of ourselves can actually really help us with resilience when things go all wrong. Because even when things have gone all wrong, you can still make something. But there's a real thing there about the permission to take risks and the permission to to, in inverted commas, fail. And I think actually all the research says as well that women particularly struggle with this. You know, they won't apply for a job unless they think they're perfect for the role. They won't step up for something unless they think they're going to be absolutely flawless. Um, And I think some of the men I know are more willing to play jazz. They're more likely to say, well, I'll give it a punt and see how it turns out. Um, And the next generation, I think we've got a real responsibility to help them to step up and say, you know what, it's okay if you're not perfect to start with or ever. And it's okay if, you know, you give it a go and we give it a try and then it doesn't quite work. And when we take a sidestep and we try something different, there is something about in a in a generation where everything has to look perfect and polished and filtered, that we help each other to kind of embrace the bum notes, to embrace the trying and to risk. Because if we don't risk, we don't grow. Like we literally just stay in our comfort zone of getting those notes perfect every time, yeah, but yeah. never actually developing or growing at all. So important that we help each other to do this. It's great. Kathy, this book is fab. Thank you. I love it. I absolutely love it. It was so easy to read, really enjoyable, Yay. but there was such a lot in there that, um, so I've got a PDF copy that I've scribbled all on on my iPad. And I've got a copy on order because I want to be able to transfer my scribbles from my iPad into the book. It's the only way of keeping them sometimes, isn't it? There's such a lot in there that uh, I'll be recommending it to others because I think it's just, it's so rich in this kind of life coaching stuff. But because of your faith, it's quite evident that all of this stuff that you write about comes from a deep relationship with Jesus. So I love it. Thank you for writing it. Oh, thank you. Thank you for spending some time with me today. And I hope it goes really well. I hope it sells really well. Not in, in terms of it might get you that uh, spot at a conference in the sun. Um, <laughs> but that, it's about seeing people's lives changed, isn't it? And I think what you've got here, uh, you've written here, is actually life-changing in terms of uh, making better, healthier decisions for our life. So thank you That's so much. That's my prayer. Thank you. Thanks for having me. How do people find you if they want to track you down on, on Twitter, Instagram? Yeah, I mean, if you just put Kathy Madavan, uh, either my website or all of the social media stuff is all under Kathy Madavan. So, you know, do keep in touch and I'll be putting updates. And, um, and you know, I would just really encourage people. I'd love to hear from them if they read it. Love to hear from them what stood out to them. It'd be great to know. Mm-hmm. Sure they will. Sure they will. Kathy, thank you so much. Love to Mark. Yeah, uh, thank, uh, thank you. Love you to Becky. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye.